I see people asking very relevant questions to themselves. What do I do now? How do I involve myself in the right projects to have a bigger impact? We collectively, I think, have been forced to think about our own journeys and how it relates to these major challenges that our world is facing. Welcome to the Antler VC cast. Antler is a global early stage VC investing in the world's most exceptional people who are building the groundbreaking tech companies of tomorrow. I'm Pooja Barwani and together with UC Salavara, we host the Antler VC cast, a show dedicated to learning from the best in the global tech and VC ecosystem. In the series called Stories of Exceptional People, we speak to founders, entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders in the tech and business world. We discuss building and scaling startups, unique investment approaches, tech trends, entrepreneurship mindsets, fundraising, and so much more. Renaud Visage is one of the co-founders of Eventbrite, a publicly listed event technology company. Eventbrite is a global self-service ticketing platform and Renaud has been at the helm of the company's technical architecture from the start. Welcome to the Antler VC cast and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So Renaud, let's dive right in and you know, you, you, let's talk about your co-founder story. Um, how did you meet your co-founders, Kevin and Julia? And um, how did you know you wanted to build this platform? Well, we met through uh, common friends. So I worked with one of my friends in, in 2000 when I switched from being a civil engineer to a software engineer. Uh, I met this um, friend at a company that uh, was doing photo sharing, one of the first companies to do that in the valley um that company didn't go so well we raised a lot of money and and spent it very quickly and and at the end of one year we had to shut down the company uh but we stayed friends and he went on to work for kevin hartz's previous company so kevin is my co-founder at eventbrite mm-hmm. um i think in 1998 1999 he started zoom which was built on top of PayPal to send money abroad. Uh, you worked on Zoom for a few years. No, it was 2001, I think. And at the end of 2005, Kevin left Zoom and he to start Eventbrite or what would become Eventbrite. Um, and he asked in his at Zoom exactly who knew uh, someone technical who could help them, him and his future wife, they were just dating at the time, um, to start on this crazy adventure of building a platform for small and medium-sized events. It was very similar to Zoom in, in the sense that uh, he wanted to build it on top of PayPal. He had been an early investor in PayPal. He saw the power that PayPal offered with very simple APIs that with a, uh, just an email address, you could send money to someone. So he thought about why don't we apply that to the event business where event organizers usually don't collect the ticket fees until much later, like usually after the event. Um, why don't we send them the money right away into their PayPal account as soon as people purchase? So it was the very simple base for what became Eventbrite. And we got together a few times. My friend introduced me to them. We started working very casually together. And then at the beginning of the 2006, we made it more official and started raising a little friends and family round and then started like building the company for real. Um, so it, it was 
not one of these stories where we've known each other for a very long time or we've been in the industry for a very long time. None of us had real experience with the event industry, but it was definitely needed needing a, a product that could allow small, especially small events, which really had nothing available at the time except Evite, but that was more for consumers. Um, so we took the opportunity. It was a big one in the end, bigger than maybe we would have thought at yeah. the beginning of the journey, um, but very exciting and I'm glad we went into that business. It's very interesting. It's um, kind of like almost like a supporting the thesis that we as Antler have around helping co-founders meet each other and, you know, but it's a proof point that you don't need that. Uh, oh, we were childhood friends and we like grew up together. And then, so I, I must ask one question from you though, which I find very interesting. Which is how was it to be a co-founder in a group of three co-founders with a married couple, or let's say a dating couple in the beginning? That that must have been interesting. Uh, each time Julia or Kevin talk about this story, they, they said I was crazy. Uh, maybe I was crazy at the time. Um, it, it was all very professional during the whole time. So they, they're very good at keeping things private, private and, and putting their business face on when they're at work. So we never had any real feeling of like different treatment or or being... I mean, we had all our different roles as well and strengths and weaknesses, I think, which really help uh, solidify us as a, as a founding team. I, I was the only technical person on the team. So my realm was quite large from infrastructure to hiring, to building the tech, to building the product. Why they were more focused on the rest, which is huge. And so I, I think we were also very complementary and had had a track record like we didn't come in as our first experience of college for example kevin had founded a couple of companies before julia was probably the the newest in in the tech space i had been running for a few years by then so we we're also known entities and, and the vouching of people have worked with you in the past mm -hmm. i think is quite strong for um finding these complementary skills that that create a good founding team Nice. And I love what Antler is doing in this in this respect. This is so hard for a lot of people. A lot of people out there looking for co-founders and not enough venues, I think, for, for that to happen. Yeah. No, thanks for the kind words. And I'm sure there's some juicy stories uh, in the early days uh, regarding the co-founder relationship, but uh, I'll let it rest. I'll let it rest. Uh, so, but what? How how did you look at like? You know, building a business in the event space, considering you were coming from a slightly different background. You know, you mentioned civil engineering. It, it's not like the immediate obvious space for you to build in. So, you know, how, were you excited about the space or, or what was that, you know, mental journey like to get excited about this business? I think we were all very excited about the, the power of technology to bring people together. It, Sounds trivial, but especially after one year of COVID, it takes a whole new meaning. It sounds very powerful, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and it really hasn't changed. Like it's been almost 16 years since we met the first, for the first time. And like the mission is still the same, the drive is still the same. Um, the opportunity, I think, is even bigger than it was at the time. So I think we approach the, the market very, um, 
with open arms, like we really listen to people who are doing this day in and day out at the very beginning with our very humble point of view that technology had something to bring to the table to not only make their business easier to build because they could actually uh, receive money as they were preparing for the event and booking venue and booking the artist and everything you have to do as, as an event manager. Um, but also being very receptive to all the feedback we got from our early adopters. And all three of us got every single customer support email for at least three or four years just to see what people are saying, what they're complaining about, what they would love for us to build. So we kind of co-develop the initial versions of the product with our customers. Um, because we didn't have that track record of knowing what it takes to, to build complex events, and especially as we moved up to scale of complexity in terms of uh, the types of events that we were uh, hosting on the platform, it became even more critical to be uh, listening very attentively and iterating quickly on, on the product so that we could find that product market fit. I think the payment market fit was immediate, but after that, there's all the additional features you need to build a, a robust, robust ticketing platform uh, that we had to build over time. And you must have been quite impacted by events last year, of course. Uh, how did you all adapt and create products as, in a way, your target market was kind of gone and, 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 and was kept on shrinking? Uh we actually picked up on the on the trend of the demand for online events uh, in 2019. We, we look at our data pretty closely, and I was involved with a small team of engineers looking at the webinar space in particular and, and seeing growing, a growing trend of more and more creators hosting webinars for a variety of topics and not having any solution. Like they were sending emails left and right with links to Google Docs and forms and things like that to uh, share the content that they wanted to share before the event um, and engage during the event and then share additional content after the event. Um, so we were working on, on integrations with online events platforms already. Well, not online events platforms, streaming providers who could power these webinars and also creating a space for attendees to go to and have all the relevant information. So we create what we call the online event page where you can put a bunch of links to different content. You can have videos, images, uh, documents, really with the mindset of around how do we make the webinar creator life easier. Um, and then when COVID hit, uh, we had been working on this for about six months already. So we had kind of the first version of the product and really, creators had no choice but shift to online because of COVID. There was limitations as to what you could do in a physical space, maybe not as much in Singapore where you are, but the rest of the world was pretty much in lockdown. Our business evaporated from one month to the next. But always we thought about how can we help our creators survive this? Yes, as an entity, we are at risk. We have... We process a lot of money and managing money is not easy, especially in a time where everybody uh, is asking for refunds or postponement of a lot of events. We took care of that first, but then we really invested in, in helping creators transition really from a, a business model to another. Uh, all of a sudden, their local audience was no longer sufficient. They had to move online and find completely new technology. They had 
really no knowledge on how to assemble to create a good experience. So there was a steep learning curve, I think, for us, but for them as well. So we really in the mindset of how do we build the, the a platform, so a platform that connects to other tools. And our strategy there was to build integrations with what we saw were the, the leading platforms of uh, streaming content. Zoom in particular emerged as widely popular with our creators. Uh, I think out of all the platforms, it's used by more than 50% of online event creators on, on our platform at least. Because it's simple, it's easy just have a link. So with the combination of the online event page that we had created, we built a deeper integration that sent ticket buyer history into Zoom so they would have immediate access. And we would still have that gating factor of you can't access the Zoom until you have purchased the ticket. So we would control this yes. access, which allowed a lot of creators to, to really pivot their business model uh, into a more global more frequent as well because they could they didn't have the limitation of booking a space booking a venue yes. making the speakers travel and all of that which came with um, the uh, former world pre-covid so a few of them managed to make the transition i think others are just waiting for things to reopen they got different uh, ways to survive in the meantime yeah we we um, use it as well that exact combination at antler we do our okay. webinars on eventbrite and zoom <laughs> so <laughs> we are your yeah definitely uh we we totally migrated and 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 must have been like you said you know your business disappeared but then you re, you re recreated this and um what was your biggest learning in terms of what kept you all going as a company you know you see this this this, this whole uh, the resilience of the industry and for several months, like none of them knew how they were going to make money and how they're going to survive or whether they were going to survive. Um, so I think the industry got together. There were a few initiatives to either get more national subsidies for keeping the entertainment industry alive. Uh, we participated in a few of them. But also a lot of resourcefulness and creativity in, in creating new formats for, for the events mm -hmm. that had a very strong uh, physical components. Um, we have one that we use all the time, Murray's Cheese, for example. They have like cheese tasting events, you know, physical events in their stores, I think, at the beginning. And then they pivoted into an online model where they would ship the cheese to everyone before the event. And, and I think some wine as well, if you wanted. And, <laughs> have a physical experience, yeah. but in the confine of your home, um, which has been very popular actually with during COVID. So I think always humbled by uh, the creativity and the resilience of all the creators who, who trust us with their business and trying to, in these tough times, like even for our business, uh, we had to let go of 45% of our employees. Uh, we had to do a lot of things to show up our financials. But yes, always thinking about how can we be a, a true partner for all these online event creators. I feel like there's going to be some sort of a rebound as well when things get better. I mean, people are starving for content and, you know, events. <laughs> and uh, I think I've seen you know, like the, the virtual wine tasting. And then I, I used to be a singer uh, and in my native country of Finland know a lot of... Uh, you know, uh, artists and um, every day, if I if I happen to look at my face 
Facebook feed, which of course feels a bit like it's from the Stone Age these days to look at Facebook. But anyway, if I look at my Facebook feed, it's like filled with disgruntled artists who complain about how they're not able to do this or that. And then some of them are doing virtual stuff, but not everyone. And I think um, I think there's still room for some creators to learn. Maybe maybe you know if if it's your sole uh, source of income, you need to do something. I mean, what's the alternative? You know, not eating is typically not a good alternative. But um, but yeah, yeah it's, it's fantastic. I think to to have you know solutions like yourselves to enable. Um, people to kind of recreate themselves in a situation like this. We had the big discussion at some point last year of do we go fully online? Do we pivot mm-hmm. the business to only support online or hybrid? But I mean, in the back of our heads, we always believed that this was a, a transitional phase, that the the physicality of events was more important than, than really the business model. So th- we already see very strong signs of, of that the recovery will be strong. We published our numbers, quality numbers for Q1 a few days ago, and, and we can see everywhere where the regulations are, are loosening uh, mm-hmm. a big, big, fast rebound when these things happen. So we're very confident yeah. that once vaccinations are well underway, that there is this... Um, mass protection of, of the people in different countries that the reopening will be very quick afterwards once we the regulations get more and more released over time. Um, so we're very excited about what the summer is going to look like, frankly. Yeah. Um, our business is is in a better shape, I think, overall. We had to adjust our strategy because of our reduced headcounts. We're more focused. We have great talent on board now, there, now from, from um, the transition that we went through. Um, so very, very excited about the business, but also like personally, I, I can't wait for that renewed sense of freedom we're all going to get when when this is not completely over because I think COVID will be with us for a while, but at least less of an imminent threat. And we can start enjoying ourselves. We can start going out, seeing friends, going to different types of entertaining events, uh, traveling. It's one thing that I used to do uh, multiple times a month and for the last 16 months, I think I haven't taken a plane, which is yeah. hard to believe, but true. Um, yeah. But starting to be a uh, yeah, little, very uh, strong itch before I think about people. <laughs> yeah. I think some things are going to be here to stay, though. Like, just an interesting tidbit from, like, our world. You know, we we have this demo day at the end of our program, right, where, like, uh, all the recent investments we've made, like, the companies pitch and, and start their, you know, fundraising journey. And, you know, traditionally, we've done that in, like, big theater, like, 400 people in the room and then, you know, after the session, obviously you mingle and there's drinks and food and things like that. But then now that we did it first time virtually, we had like 3000 people watching. So then if I think about what's beneficial to the companies, which is obviously the main lens through which to do things in a business like ours, it's like no way I'm switching back to that 400 people. I mean, sure, it would be nice and, you know, have those uh, drinks after and all that, but 
cannot do it simply put like uh, we need to do what's right here and that's the that's the online version so i bet you'll do hybrid eventually so i think the physical connection you get from being with founders being there is also important so yeah we'll have smaller select events i mean i think that that physical contact and human connection is still going to be there but yeah, yeah, yeah. no i don't mean that all physical events will end with, with antler for example <laughs> but uh but this particular one seems more impactful uh done online you know it's, i think it's great for the industry and there's more of there's more availability of great content out there because everybody's had to to move online so i think the ones who have been successfully uh, making that transition will will definitely continue i mean it's a great audience you can build a, a worldwide audience if you have good marketing um so why why give up that part of the business but i think it will be in complement to to the physical business because that's at the core of what even creators want is that physical proximity the, it, they're not businessmen first and or usually they are not they're passionate people who want to do something with that passion and in, in, inspire others and you can do that so much more easily in, in a physical setting where you are fully dedicated you, you, you're not juggling between five different apps as you're watching which is <laughs> kind of how we do online events at the moment i think yeah, for a lot right. of us <laughs> Yeah, that sounds good. Do we have good marketing, Pooja? I think Which we have excellent sense. marketing, only the best. <laughs> Great. Well, we we have uh, we just launched Event by Boost, which is uh, <laughs> going to be building up over the next few months as a, a one-stop shop for all your marketing needs, helping you even more with finding uh, new audiences or engaging with your existing one. Nice. And and I saw that it's it's connecting to social media as well as it's it's targeted at at smaller single creators as well, right? Mm -hmm. That is that is the future. Um so <laughs> <laughs> um I uh, you know you're also a very active angel investor and um was keen to know, you know, what is your investment approach? How do you how do you look at companies? A lot of similarities with Antler. I, I invest in people first and foremost. Um, I really think um, that I tend to prefer people who are creative problem solvers that have that almost that little spark that tells me that this is uh, their time to shine somehow. Mm -hmm. And that it, no matter what happens, they will iterate their way to success and, and go all the way. So I need to feel that, that drive, that ambition, that that they're not afraid of building a global company, uh, which is still mostly the case for a lot of entrepreneurs in Europe. Like they, they see France and they want to focus on that and they're a little afraid of going outside of that. So I, I need to feel that global ambition from the get-go when I invest personally. Um, and of course, I also try to assess the, the value prop of their initial product, the potential in the market, the unit economic, and all of that. But since I have limited time, uh, it's not my main focus. And, and I'd see it's really the people I think who make the difference. Um, I really prefer people who are receptive to feedback. And that's one, I think, that kills a lot of my investments in this, when, when I always try to give suggestions and, and see if they're open to the, the feedback or not. And when they're not, like, there's so much you have to learn when you build a company. And if, if you don't want to learn, through the process and you have such strong ideas from the get-go, I think it's really hard to be successful unless you've done it before and have a clear roadmap and, and blueprint for how you build companies, about how many 
uh, actual companies are built this way very few. Oh, that's very interesting. One of the dimensions we often debate, and I think people have different opinions on this, is the notion of coachability. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people maintain this opinion that it's not good if a team is sort of, quote unquote, highly coachable, yeah. because it implies that they don't have sort of a strong, you know, will and direction of their own. While then others are like, you know, they're very adaptive, they learn, they react to new input and they drive. Uh, are you more on the latter side that the, you know, coachable is better? Yeah, of course. I'm not trying to run their business. Definitely don't want them to just take what I say and do it because I probably yeah. will lead them to failure. Being open and, and seeking that advice, I think, is really important as as you try to figure out your market, like a lot of entrepreneurs have not been in, in the market that they want to attack with their startups. Um, so you got to be humble, uh, kind of surround yourself with the right advisors and, and the ones who are successful at that manage to attract, I think, the best angels who can bring value to the process and, and funds as well. I work with Point9 uh, Capital, for example, one of the leading seed funds in Europe and we bring a lot of value between seed and series A. That's our core strength as a fund. Yeah. There you have it. Voice words uh, straight from the man. So I think I think uh, I stand with you on that one. But um, very good. Any any particular uh, angel investments you want to give a shout out to that that you're particularly excited about? Um. Hard. It's like picking among all your children. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, everyone has their favorite children, child, but uh, it's tough to it. say. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm excited about what's coming next. So I think big crises like COVID and climate change, for example, are going to bring a new wave of creativity. Um, to the startup world. We have big problems to solve as a society. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about learning more. So I'm actually going to take a class on climate change to understand the, the basics. I think it's easy to talk about it, but harder to invest in that space because it's so complex with multiple chain reactions of causes and effects. So understanding the fundamentals will be, I think, important to make the, the right bets in in the race to save us from ourselves in a way. Um, and then post-COVID, I think there's also a lot of interesting opportunities around how we work, how we collaborate. I see people asking very relevant questions to themselves. What do I do now? How do I involve myself in the right projects to have a bigger impact? We collectively, I think, have been forced to think about our own journeys and how it relates to these major challenges that our world is facing. So I think that will create a lot of new companies that are going to try to tackle different problems or different opportunities created by this crisis. Um, And that's why being an angel investor is, is so rewarding. You see, you're able to catch a ride on all these adventures um, and help along the way, share your knowledge and your experience. I'm also t- on, on the board of a few companies and really enjoying that part of um, the, the role of giving back in a way. It's, it's not 
really to make money, but it's really to be associated with people who want to change the change the game. So sense of purpose and meaning. Yes, I completely agree. We've all asked ourselves this past year, you know, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And, um, you know, that relates in, in a way a lot to entrepreneurs, right? They, a lot of people have either, uh, decided that now is the time there's no better time and um others have have just re-examined what they're doing and made complete different career shifts um you know what advice would you give to to um aspiring entrepreneurs you said obviously they're big problems to solve uh especially i would say you know you someone like you from a tech very tech background engineer who wants to then take the leap to become an entrepreneur especially at a time like this what what advice would you give them so i was uh... I used to be a civil engineer, so maybe I'll take a construction analogy. Um, but something we, we never see in buildings is their foundations. And I think you can, like, buildings will crumble if they don't have the proper foundations. And I think it's applicable to, to startups as well. Um, you can't, even as you're going like 300 kilometers an hour building your business, uh, at some point, I think on a regular basis, you should think about your foundations. Like, what do you stand for as a company? Uh, what values are you going to look for in, in your future teammates? Um, how do you build that culture that ensures that everyone, including your customers, understand uh, what you stand for, what your values are, and, and how they should relate to, to your company? Um, what do you want your company to look like in like 10 years or, or even 30 years? I think taking time to build these foundations over time is really important because that's, and I've seen it at, at Eventbrite. I think it, the, the mission was always front and center and we pick people maybe without explicitly thinking about it, that uh, adhere to that uh, view of the world that we had and that we could build a company that was enduring for the long term and that had strong value values around work-life balance, for example, or um, diversity. Like our board is very diverse. Our executive team is very diverse. Like we take pride in having reached these goals because we looked at what do we want to stand for as a company on a regular basis? What are the attributes that define a good brightling, which are our employees? How do we find them? How do we motivate them? And it's easy to forget all that and postpone until later when you have commercial success, but it might already be too late because the foundation is built over time. It's not like build buildings where you have the blueprint of what it's going to look like exactly. Uh, but if you don't take time every on a regular basis to think about it and, and pause and put in place like the small process changes that you need to create something that you're proud of and that really resonates with, with your core values. And I think it's really easy to get distracted by how others do things. And I don't know, think you have to work 80 hours a week every day for 20 years to be build a successful company. Um, but if it's not what you are truly believing you know, deep down, I think you're missing an opportunity. And I think all good long-term businesses do that very well and quite early, I think. So that would be my advice. Like, Don't forget the foundations. Great advice. So uh, I also wanted to ask you, actually, you mentioned, you know, you've obviously been grounded, but you're an avid photographer. I saw some of your 
photos. They were lovely. <laughs> Very frustrating have, in the times of COVID. Yeah. Right? How, how have you, I was going to ask you, how have you kept that uh, talent I have and not. passion off? Oh, you haven't been able to. <laughs> <laughs> not, not over the last couple of years. Definitely something I, I want to go back to and spend more time doing, but I, I mostly did it as a hobby on the side when I had time. So now I haven't really taken a, a great vacation lately. Uh, I think I need to do that. Go somewhere where you can really focus. It's it's a bit like any creative endeavor. If you're doing that part-time, 10% of your time while on your route from your home to the office or something like that, like it, it's hard to do, get good results. When I do it, I, I need to be doing mostly that, I would say. Um, just like any other trade, like you, you need to focus and put in the hours to get the the truly rewarding results. Absolutely, very good. And if if you need uh, recommendations for like uh, uh, a holiday, then Puja went on a on a cruise to nowhere. I hear it's awesome. So just um, cruise to nowhere. Yeah, because well, what can we do? Singapore is an island by itself. At least France <laughs> is big. Anywhere. You can you can drive to the south of France. That's true. <laughs> we actually rediscovered uh, France this summer. Drove sure. around. Oh, nice. It's quite beautiful. Yeah. We forget we, what we have in our own bike yards. Anyway. That doesn't sound so bad, to be honest with you. Yes, it, it sounds, I mean, as much as the horizon was stunning, uh, I, I would take south of France. <laughs> <laughs> So you know what I'm what I'm taking away um, overall is very insightful around the co-founder <clears throat> initial relationship can deepen over time, and then you know also that, like you said, you are focusing. For example, when you invest, it's really about the team. The idea isn't necessarily secondary, but you know, like I always say, it's like. You know, a, a bad team will not build a great business out of a great idea. Uh, There's also a lot of bad ideas. So yeah. Make sure <laughs> the, the great people are not chasing the wrong ideas. Yeah. It does happen yeah. sometimes. That is right. That's right. That's right. There's an insane amount of companies that are, you know, hugely valued that have been, um, from the in the beginning, they've been something completely different, but great founders have pivoted completely or partially. So, you know, uh, it's it's all about uh, adapting and and finding your way to the the right thing, and then this notion around foundation that is very profound, uh, and you know applies to every company out there. So any aspiring founder that is um, listening to this, think about the foundation that is wise. That's why having a like heads of people, for example, fairly early is, is really important because usually it's that part of the um, management team that really focuses on on the foundations, at least for the employees. Part. Um, and Julia, our co-founder, was very focused on people for the first few years of her journey at Eventbrite. Now she's the CEO because she's the the guarantor of this foundation that we built and really uh, continues building on a daily basis now with full power. That's right. Yeah, I mean, people are probably the biggest problem early early days in a startup. Uh, <laughs> what I meant to say is the hiring part is the problematic part where you need top people 
uh, and early on, since it's only you and your dreams, uh, maybe a few dollars in your back pocket, you know, it's, it's very difficult. So I think investing a lot into the people you get um, is one of the wisest things you can do. I think the dream part is really important. You have to make people dream at the beginning because you don't have the financial means to yeah. attract them. So <laughs> what else are you going to sell? Exactly. And being a great exactly. storyteller is also exactly. part of that foundation, I think. That's right. That's right. Yes, being a great storyteller, they say it's the vision of the future. That's what get, gets gets the early stage founders capital and lots more. But thank you so much. So much wisdom there. Uh, one that I'll remember is, you know, really focus on what you're doing at the at, at, at what's in hand at that point in time and um, uh, thank you so much for joining us and sharing uh, your answers and we look forward to connecting with you and seeing what else Eventbrite does as as this whole industry uh, keeps evolving that's good well, thanks so much for having me you have been listening to the Antler BC cast with me Pooja Barwani and UC Salovara Antler is a global VC firm headquartered in Singapore with 14 locations globally and we are growing. To learn more about Antler, our portfolio companies and our philosophy, visit us at www.antler.co or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Antler Global. Thank you for listening.